Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Radio Monash's No Theory. I'm your host, Simone. And I'm Lydia. Today, we have some very exciting guests who will be joining us. Please welcome Misha Kasinathan and Sathika Polanyi. Now, Misha and Sathika actually host their own podcast titled Brown and Feminist, which we highly recommend you check out. If you, and it can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts, for those of you who are interested. On that note, uh, Misha and Sathika, could you tell us a bit about yourselves? Hey, um, I'm Sathika. So, yeah, we do run um, a podcast called Brown and Feminist. We're really excited to be here with Simone and Lydia. Um, obviously, as you guys know, they just started the radio and we're just so excited to be here. Um, yeah, so we started the podcast called Brown and Feminist because that's what we are. We're brown and we're feminist. <laughs> I love it. Such a great title. <laughs> so... Um, is there any other reasons you started the podcast? Uh, so there are lots of reasons, to be honest. The precipitating factor and the real trigger was events that happened in the news with incidents happening in India and there was a gang rape and the government's message to women was more to have a curfew rather than teaching the society about consent and respect, just basic things. But beyond that, a lot of it was us just wanting to have our own voice. I think when other people speak for you, it's not the same. It's not as empowering as you speaking for yourself. So I think that was the main thing for me, at least. What about you, Sathika? Yeah, it was it was the exact same, honestly. Um, I heard about that issue in India and I was just so upset because imagine if something like that happened to me or happened to my friend and instead of, you know, teaching the people about consent, we instead go and say, no, you guys need curfews now. You girls can't, you know, be out for a long time because apparently you're the one that attracts males that, you know, leads to those kind of scenarios. So we were really upset about that. And that just got us thinking, you know, we need a space to talk about this. We need a space where other people with issues and etc. can talk. You know what I mean? We don't want to hear older um, government officials telling us what to do and etc. We want our own space to have a discussion. Mm -hmm. And what has the reception been like to the podcast? It's actually been quite positive, I think. Uh, there's probably been a few instances where people have questioned it and I guess tried to put us down a little bit but mm -hmm. for the most part it's actually been quite positive and receptive and people have been really supportive which has been so lovely it kind of uh, restores my faith in humanity a little bit in our generation anyway I think we're a very open generation so I've seen that come through with the podcast it's been really nice what has your experience been like producing the podcast I think, like we said before, it's just, it, since it's a space for discussion, we learn something new every day. So with our podcast topics, if you guys check it out later, um, everyone, every guest that we have, have something to do with that topic. They've got some personal experience. They've got um, something to say about it. And that's what we want. You know, we want people that have experienced these issues. So we learn something new every time we do the podcast as well. It's not just our listeners. So it's been it's been very eye-opening, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And um, you told us before, you sort of hinted on it, that the initial spark to your podcast was hearing about some events in the news um, in India. And particularly, you've mentioned as well, there was a gang rape and the government telling women to be safer, um, enforcing or suggesting curfews and whatnot. Could you tell us perhaps a little bit more about that event or even other events like it? Yeah, so basically... When we say this happened, particularly in India, we're not saying, you know, this happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, only in India. It happens all around the world. Oh, yeah, Our definitely. problem with it was the, obviously, the crime was really obscene and horrible. But our problem with it was also the reception the government and the police had with it. So with a lot of other cases like this, you know, they're, they're always like, why was the girl walking out that late at night? What was she wearing? You know, those are those are often the questions that are asked. Yeah, because they, they put a spotlight on what she wore mm. rather than why those guys decide to do such a horrible thing. And I think that was just so crazy to us that it's it's the twenty first century and we're still pointing at the victims for the crimes that the perpetrator did. You know what I mean? And How even you... you go, Lydia, sorry. And... Oh, no, no, I think Misha. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Even closer to home, we all, I think any woman can either herself or knows an experience that a friend has had that borders on sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual misconduct. It's just so incredibly prevalent and we just wanted a platform to be able to talk about those things and not just that but in general feminism and social issues broadly. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You talk about that, like, victim-blaming mentality. How do you think um, that can be stopped? I think a big part of it is validating people's feelings and emotions and creating a very safe space that allows a victim to speak out without feeling that their stories are going to be ignored or lessened in any way. I think friends have a really big role in that, you know, being really supportive, sort of affirming that what's happened to someone is a legitimate experience and not trying to minimise that. I think we often – actually, interestingly, I was reading about the psychology of victim blaming and apparently one of the reasons we do it is because it makes us feel safer. It makes us think that, oh, we're not like those victims. We would have never put ourselves in that position. And that's why we victim blame, to create that division between ourselves who are, you know, supposedly so responsible and the victim who this happened to. It's it's a safety mechanism, but I think we just need mm. to recognise that a victim in no way solicits that kind of um, activity or, or that misconduct or that crime to happen to them. Consent and what you wear, what you do, what you say, you know, it has to be affirmative. And just because you're wearing something or you're presenting yourself in a certain way doesn't mean you've invited that activity. I think we need to be very black and white on that as a society. And totally. yeah, like I said, creating a very safe space, very open space, just listening to people, like truly listening to them and their experiences and not trying to paint it in a blanket or try and um, minimize it. It's just really problematic when we do that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. And I think too that, sometimes people who haven't been in the situations or not to generalize, but perhaps men who don't experience sexual harassment in some of the same ways or prevalence, 
might not even always understand or be so aware of what women might be going through. Like I remember, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Plan International, but they had this campaign this campaign a few years ago where um, they were basically talking to women in cities all around the world and getting them to speak up about some of their instances of sexual harassment and their experiences with that and how safe they felt in their cities. And um I was actually kind of a part of this a little bit myself. We did this, we went around to different stations in Melbourne and took some architects, engineers and stakeholders around with us, a lot of who were men and actually had conversations about, you know, how unsafe or confronting at night some of these spaces could be. And they almost had no idea whatsoever. They had never even thought about it like that before. And so... Yeah, I guess it's all about a conversation. And as you said, Misha, starting a conversation and making sure we can actually make these spaces safer. Um, so, yeah, sorry for that tangent. But, um, well, yeah, well, talking about, like, conversations, Lydia, um, mm-hmm. Misha and Sathika, you talk about, you know, a lack of conversation inspiring you to start the podcast. Why do you want to incite conversation? Because how can we incite change if we don't incite conversation? You know what I mean? So yeah. we are. Wh- what's happening now is a lot of us are just letting, you know, we, it goes back to who's sitting on top here. Yeah? We just let the government officials do their thing. You know, we don't want to add to what decisions they make. But all of the decisions they make concern us. We do need to play an active role in this. If we want to see more representation, if we want to see, you know, certain policies enforced, we need to start talking about it. We need to start making the public more aware of it. You know, and our podcast ranges from, you know, body image issues to discrimination. It's 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 a whole wide range of things because all of these issues do need to be addressed on different spectrums. But it's hard to address it if we don't discuss it. We need to hear both sides of it to make a decision. Yeah. Um, what about you, Misha? I think conversation is is the start of any change really it's about getting people to understand where we're coming from and equally being open to understanding where other people are coming from I think that's really important and that's the kind of environment we really want to create with our podcast just a very open space where we welcome discussion about topics that people are afraid to talk about in other realms of their life Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and how important do you think conversation is compared to action or even like the, I guess, the interaction between the two? I think they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. It's And it's not even a linear relationship. It's not the conversation happens, then action happens because you can have a conversation and you can take action, but then you can go back to having a conversation and reevaluating that action. So mm-hmm. I think it's a cycle. I think it, it, it they go hand in hand. And often when you put them hand in hand, I think that's when you probably get the most effective action. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That's a really good point. Thanks, Misha. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break now, but stay tuned as we'll be right back. Um, we're going to be listening to our first song for the day. This is I'm Dead by Duckworth. Enjoy. I'm I'm dead. That's the status quo. I'm dead. That's the bull. I'm dead. Scroll emoji. I'm dead. 
Alone, but I never am alone. Run with the bulls, my deep when I'm wrong. Gotta keep a cool head like a breeze on a stone. But hit me with the beef, I will flip like a phone. So keep the bush, let me focus on the wrist. Work while I cook, master chef with a twist. Cause ain't no other recipe, it's right like this. No, I don't ride commas, but I shine so quick. Even in the darkness, I bring light to you. I shine for you, and I ain't never left something right for you. Let's fly out of here, that's what pilots do. Got cash money, big timers do. Skip, skip to my loop, meet me and my bassoon. You don't like the way I wash, you can shine my shoes. I'm just getting it off my head. Full emoji, I'm dead, I'm dead. They just wanna be under the light. I I'm Welcome back, everyone. That was I'm Dead by Duckworth. All right. So jumping back into um, our interview, 
with the lovely Misha and Sathika. So we briefly mentioned, or sorry, you briefly mentioned before, that some of the main themes and ideas you explore on your podcast include colorism, racism, and sexism. Just this first term, colorism, could you quickly maybe explain that a little bit for some of the listeners who might not be so familiar with this term? So with colorism, it's about a lot of it goes back to Eurocentrism, actually, where we all think, you know, white is better, you know. So from that idea stems the notion that all of us should be light skin rather than dark skin. And especially in ethnic communities, um, we just see if you have lighter skin, it just means you're more beautiful. You're going to be more successful. More people will listen to you. There's a lot of connotations. And the advertisements for... Um, light skin bleaching cream etc that's so crazy there was one ad that had a dark skin guy and it showed him being like it's so sad and so upset and then as soon as he used that fairness cream and he got lighter he suddenly became so rich and he had chicks lining up for him so that's the extent of how ludicrous these ads actually are and what we face in the brown community as well, because we are told not to go out in the sun, we are told not to show too much skin so it doesn't get exposed to the sun, you know, we are given bleaching creams, etc., because they really just want us to get lighter skin because they think that would make the quality of our life better for some reason. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow, I've that's actually, crazy. when I went to India last year, um, I saw lots of ads about, of like, Indian women and they didn't look they were so pale it was like insane like paler than even some white people it was just and it was so clearly like photoshopped too like that you know that image of like unattainable beauty that not even you know the model can acquire is just pretty damaging I think Mm -hmm. it's incredibly damaging I know when I go back home to Malaysia a lot of my relatives are like oh my goodness you're so dark now you know you're always in the sun stop being in the sun so much ask any Indian person they will all have a story like that and I mean I guess touch wood that my parents have never reinforced that kind of thing and I feel like for the most part it's not something I've internalized uh, which I'm really glad for but it is so prevalent so damaging a lot of it's actually also linked to your eligibility for marriage so there's this like perception that the fairer you are the more uh, marriage proposals you'll get So a big, big part of it is actually linked to that as well. So incredibly prevalent, incredibly toxic. They use this quote, slim, trim and fair for prospective brides. So it's it's really damaging in, in those terms especially. Wow. I honestly had no idea. Like I'm familiar with some of these ad campaigns, but I didn't know it was so sort of ingrained in culture and I guess even like family values and whatnot so Mm. that's crazy I think also in China it's pretty prevalent and like because I've also been to China and we learnt that um pale skin people were thought of as you know like the rich upper class who didn't have to go work out in the fields and that's why that they were they were pale whereas the people who were had darker skin had to work out in the fields because they were poor so it's kind of also related to class in a way too I'd say it's uh, sorry, yeah, I'd say it's basically prominent in all Asian countries and all countries that don't have uh, European descent per se. They are all very 
hell-bent on this idea that white is better. You know, you see it in Latina communities, you see it in black communities, you see it in brown communities. It's it's, it's everywhere, honestly. Mm. So going off of that, how does colorism, sexism and racism affect your lives? It's a bit would, of a heavy question. I would say <laughs> yeah. it's... it's it's everywhere every day it's hidden in plain sight honestly if you just see it it, it will be there like sexism uh if we break that down that's like discrimination you know that in the households they think a woman should do this a lot of the time that's exactly what we hear how how will your in-laws react if you go to their house and you don't do certain things but they don't really say this to the guys you know what i mean mm. and there's also this whole argument on the gender wage gap so for us we broke that down in our first episode it's more of a wage gap between mothers and um men who work fathers so it's that boils down to you know maternal leave versus paternal leave the mom kind of has to take the leave because people don't give paternal leave most companies don't give paternal leave so that is something we have to consider for our future for our work and then colorism that again brown communities we face that all the time people telling us you know why we got darker why we got to this stage got to that stage therefore we decided to have an educating platform and to have a discussion about it Mm. but Mm -hmm. I think yeah that's so important yeah Mm -hmm. I think even just on sexism one of the sort of first personal examples that came into my head is the idea that you have to be so demure and proper and fit into this very almost just clean, squeaky clean little, I don't know, like stereotype. And outside of that, you get labelled as things like bossy or yeah, a bitch, basically. Am I allowed to say that on this? Yeah. Just not <laughs> like, too much, but yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. Um, but that, like, that term gets thrown around a lot and it's just anyone who doesn't fit into society's very confined box of what a woman is meant to be, you do get shunned. Mm-hmm. And how do you say no then or push back um, against these biases? Getting angry doesn't get you far a lot of the time because then you're going to exactly what they call you, you know, a bee and like a raging one at that. So it's for me, I kind of, I'm someone who definitely tends to go into every fight, but um I've learned that educating is better than, you know, telling them that, you know, it has to be this way. You know, discussion is definitely better so I can hear their perspective. Because a lot of the time, their upbringing has been very different. So they can't understand what our perspectives are. So I think the best way is honestly to hear their side, for them to hear our side, and then for us to get to a conclusion from that. I think a big part of being able to say no comes from having that self-confidence and really understanding your own values. For me, something that has helped, because I have been someone who's struggled to say no a lot in my life, Mm -hmm. I I think, up until the last couple of years, where I feel like I've really sort of found myself. And a big part of that was surrounding myself with people who were were strong, like surrounding myself with strong women who wouldn't put up with poor treatment and who encouraged me to be like that as well. I think that's a big part of it. And I I think once you're really sure of your own values and who you are, it becomes a lot easier to say no because you can sort of deal with the the pushback. 
it, it doesn't um, intimidate you so much because you know who you are. So for me, that was being, being a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fantastic. So we, all of these topics, you mentioned to me that they're like taboo within um, brown and ethnic households. Like how, is, how are they taboo? I guess when we say taboo, it's, it's just why would you talk about it? Like you're insane, you're too modern. <laughs> that's that's um, some common rebuttals we get for the arguments we make on colorism, etc. I think one of the biggest taboo topics is sex. Like um, brown families, they, they don't want to acknowledge that their children have reproductive systems. <laughs> they just they rather just, you know, get married, have kids, we'll deal with it then. You know what I mean? So it's just some things it just expected because there's this hierarchy in a lot of ethnic and Asian families. You know, you don't question your elders, but we are trying to have a discussion. You know what I mean? So it's kind of it is hard to talk about issues like this because it's some things are just expected of the younger generation. Have you you got um, any like um, you know meant like? Has anyone talked about that to you regarding your podcast? Like, oh, you shouldn't be talking about this. No, actually, I don't think personally anyone has said that to me. I would say there are definitely topics that are taboo in my household. But as far as the podcast goes, I wouldn't say my parents personally had any objections to anything like that. I think they, they kind of accept that I am just going to kind of do what I want and speak out the way I want. I feel like... I don't know whether they they haven't said anything about the podcast in like resignation that I'm just going to do it or whether uh, they kind of are accepting of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And um, just to shift the conversation a little bit, another thing that comes up in your podcast is body positivity. And when I was having a listen myself, I think I mentioned to you before we went on air, um, I really enjoyed the fact that you've included both the, a female and a male's point of view. So what is the importance of body positivity and um, how do you think it relates to saying no? I think everyone feels entitled to have an opinion on another person's body image you know what I mean like you're too fat you're too you've got too much cellulite you've got this you've got that but at the end of the day it boils down to your self-worth do you feel like you need to take this from them you know what I mean so for me I realized the best way to deflate that situation is with humor so I just look my aunts are the one that um, usually comment on my body. So I just look at them and I'm like, body positivity RT and then like they just don't know what to say. <laughs> They're just so shocked. They're like, uh, uh, I have not I've not had this response before. What do I do? So I just that's how I found that situation. It was just easier to deflate it with humor. Whereas if other people want to comment on my body, I'm like, okay, so what can I do for you? Why Why do you care? You know what I mean? I get that in families and with certain friends, you know, they're trying, maybe they, they think they're trying to help you. But I think there's also a nice way of saying, dude, I know, I know where I'm at. You know, I, it's cool. You know, I don't need to fix myself. I'm happy with myself. And, you know, I think they'll just learn from that. You know, there's ways to say it nicely. There's like, there's also like, you know, the five second rule. If you can't change... Some, something about your body in five seconds don't 
don't talk about it. So, like, if you have, you know, some food on your face or, like, if your hair looks a bit um, wild, then then you can mention it. But, you know, if exactly. it's – Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, make comments, but I'm pretty sure the person already knows what they look like. They look at themselves mm. in the mirror every morning. So there's no point you point that out. I'm pretty sure they already know. Mm-hmm. Mm. So true. Have either of you struggled with self-love and body positivity? Definitely. Um, I've I've gotten a lot, you know, you're so skinny, like, why are you so skinny? And there was definitely a period where comments like that really did affect me and I would look at myself and I just, I wouldn't feel beautiful when I looked at myself in the mirror and things like that. And it is a struggle and people don't realise the weight of their words. Even offhand comments, something that you think is, is an offhand comment, that can sit with someone for days. Mm-hmm. I think we have to be very sensitive around the conversations. And like you said, I actually love the five-second rule. I don't know if I've heard of that before, but I think that's great. If it's some, someone can't change in five seconds, just don't. there's no need for you to mention it. But, yeah, in terms of um, like that getting that body positive, positivity and how that helps me it kind of comes back to what I was saying before really just surrounding myself with people who do help build me up and who do help me be confident and affirm to me, to me that I am beautiful but with the whole body positivity thing I think it, it does it has to be something you internally realize and you have to see you know your own internal beauty and your own internal worth and the comments that people make start to affect you a lot less I think if someone was to say something about my body now I genuinely wouldn't care for it because I guess I know who I am on the inside and to me that you know that means so much more Mm -hmm. yeah I think finding that sort of inward validation and finding peace with yourself is so important but how do you think that some things like in the media or entertainment industry especially like these external types of validation and the way they affect us how do you think they play a role in um I guess, shaping body positivity or even body neutrality, especially um, in regards to representation is another thing as well, like these images of beauty that are being projected for us. What do you think on that? Again, quite a heavy question. Sorry, guys, <laughs> <I> but think, <laughs> a lot going on there. I think it's become more of the standard of beauty. The people we see on TV, on social media, the big influences. They've become the standard of beauty, that unattainable standard, you know, where we need lip fillers and we need, you know, we need enhancements everywhere. (laughs) Exactly, Photoshop. So it's sort of expected of us in a way to look a certain type of way. You know what I mean? And we just need, it goes back to self-worth, like Misha said. We just need to realize who we are and to be happy with who we are. If we're not happy, what can we do to change that in a healthy way? You know what I mean? So it's, if you look around us, like, we don't all look the same at all. Influencers have that, you know, certain type of look, that certain type of body, you know, that slim, thick situation that's been going on. But those bodies are beautiful, but so are a lot of other bodies. And we just have to realize that because I'm pretty sure when we go out, when we go see our mates, we, we see a lot of beautiful people and they don't fit into that niche you know what I mean mm-hmm. so we need to start acknowledging that and seeing and recognizing the beauty around us and the beauty in ourselves I always mm. like to say that when 
social media becomes really toxic, have a look at the people around you. You know, if you were just to sit at a cafe and genuinely just observe the people around you, you would see how diverse they are, but how incredibly beautiful they are in their own unique kind of way. So I think sometimes a really useful strategy for that is genuinely just limiting your time on social media or even following these more body positive accounts on social media. I think for me, a big thing was following a lot of brown girls. I mean, you don't see a lot of representation of brown girls in traditional Western media, and that can get you to question your own beauty. But when you sort of fill your feed with things like that, and I guess a closer representation to what is actually normal, it it can affirm that for you. Mm. Have you heard of um, Jamila? Jamil, like the she played <gasps> Tahani on The Good Place? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she runs her own podcast as well. Yeah, yeah, she's great. She, yeah, she. For those of you who don't know, also um, promotes body positivity and loving yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and similar to what Misha said, she also talks about like you know tailoring your like insta your social media feeds so that you know it's more healthy. It's it's you know reflects the real the real world. Yeah, yeah. Mm Do you think she influences you? I definitely respect her work and I do see her in a very, I do put her in a high pedestal because I really respect everything she's done because she consistently talks out on body positivity and she, she talks about the standards we're meant to live by, the photoshopping. I, I really respect that. But I think in terms of influencing us, maybe not me not me personally at least because I think our main spur to action was seeing things around us and nothing's being done about that yeah cool excellent well we are going to go for another song break now so this is um Misha and Sathika's second song pick for today, Energy by Sampa the Great. Please enjoy. I personally think it's a very groovy tune. (laughs) We'll be back soon as the discussion continues. Let the healing begin again. The birds and the bees. 
Listen me. I beg you open your ears for any waiting that they say. Waiting that they talk. Now serious talk that they talk go. No bit and guy speaking. Listen. In this world we deal, members say ya, one day go come when we all go go. Before long, we go meet Mama Godo. When we they meet Mama Godo, tell me, waiting, you go see. With the my life jam nation, you realize all the time we wasting, you realize all the pain we facing, please pour up feminine libation. My gosh, we raising, please sympathize all the lies we raising, please realize all the time. Female energy, one shot, two shot, three times sorrows. Carry all the weight of the world on your shoulders. Give a couple crowns to the woman who had bore us. Told us, focus, love and support us. Magical, umbilical, my universe is radical. Introduce the nation to embracing what is factual. Feminine energy, almost mathematical. You can't really sum up what is infinite and valuable. Feminine energy, balance up the indestructible in the vaginal heaven in thine. She sing a melody to pass the time. Give us her energy so she feel mine. If I was astonished by the level of shame. Feminine energy, never shame again. Rain, tamed, brain, praying. Intuition and ambition running through my veins. Pour out the love, let the healing begin. Gain. So that was Energy by Sampa the Great. Welcome back, everyone. This is No Theory with Lydia and Simone. So, so that was Energy by Sampa the Great. All So as we near the end of today's show, we wanted to talk a little bit about how no is important to the both of you personally um, in any areas of your life, I suppose. I think I've never really found it hard to say no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I think that's not very common because I I do know a lot of people struggle to say no. I think my turning point when I was when I was around thirteen, maybe the person that I always used to say yes to and listen to were my parents. I think until like I was twelve, and it like Misha said, the people around you definitely matter, 
And I think in school as well, they just thought us the importance of having our own ideas and etc. So my dad was very micromanaging, like, you know, the type of clothes you wear, this, that. And I was like, nope, nope, I don't want it anymore. So since I was 13, I've been saying no and I haven't stopped yet. So <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what about yeah. you, Nisha? Yeah, I think for me, like I hinted to before, it it was definitely hard to, and sometimes it still is, hard to say no at points in my life. And I I guess I'm like a very introspective person, so I like to reflect on why I act in certain ways in certain situations. And one of the things that I think I realised when it came to saying no was I found it so hard was that because I didn't want to disappoint the people in my life, but what I failed to realise was every time I said no, Every time I said yes, sorry, when I wanted to say no, I was actually disappointing myself. Rather, and that, that relationship that I have with myself is so much more important than that relationship I really could have with anyone else. So anytime I said yes and wanted to say no, um, it was just a slight on me. It was a slight on me and my values and what I, I really wanted to do in that moment. And realising that helps me, helped me be okay with letting people down if it meant that it was going to make me happy and I was doing something that I truly wanted to do. And so with that, I found it a lot easier to say no. On that, do you think, like, saying no is kind of like a form of self-care? To an extent, to an extent, I think. I think, to me, self-care is anything that makes you reflect, respect and love yourself and anything in which you're you're being the truest version of yourself you possibly are. So if that means saying no in a situation, then I, I think it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, something I've been seeing, like this mantra sort of circulating a lot, I've been seeing is, um, oh my gosh, what is it? Like the most important relationship you're going to have in your life is with yourself, which is something I had never really thought about that much. And in some ways, it's almost perhaps been a little bit taboo in the past and is becoming more a part of our generation's, um, I guess, Mm. enjoyment of open conversations and whatnot and um yeah knowing your boundaries and the relationship you have with yourself and yeah not not um I don't know where I'm going with this but yeah not not branding things as being selfish when just because you're yeah exactly just because you're thinking of your own interests Mm -hmm. that's absolutely right because if you look at it the person that's going to be there for you a hundred percent of the time that's always going to be there is yourself Every person has their own commitments, you know, how much ever they may love you, you know, they've got their own life to live. But the person that's going to constantly be there is yourself. Therefore, it's probably the most important person in your life and the person you should take care of the most. Could you tell us some instances of when you've said no? Actually... Oh, I've got one here. Something that I just thought of is I have found myself saying no to kind of emotionally being there for someone 100% at times where I can't emotionally even be there for myself. And that is something I've found very, very, very hard to do, to say no in those situations because I like to be that friend that is like your ride or die friend that is with you through everything. But when that starts to impact you in a negative way and you you can't be there emotionally, I think it's important to be able to say no. So that's one of the instances that just I first thought of saying no in those situations and not not sort of being like, oh, I'm not ever going to be there for you. Just being like, you know, in this moment right now, 
I can't be there for you as much as I would like to. Like, obviously, I'm still there, but I do just kind of need that space. So in that sense, for me, that's been something I've had to say no to. Mm. So before we wrap up, um, we asked uh, you to select today's playlist. So, and Misha, you you did. So why did you choose these songs in particular? And my handball this to Savika, actually. Oh, Savika, did you also choose these yeah, songs? Yeah, I'm, I'm in charge of music in oh. a collaboration, always, everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, Sampa especially, I love her music. She's in Australia. She stays in Australia. I think she's originally from Botswana. But she's an amazing artist. You know, a lot of her music revolves around women taking power over themselves, you know, taking control of their bodies, you know, um, being in tune with themselves. And I, I love that. And I also love music that makes you dance and makes you feel sort of weightless. And all the songs I've picked do that. So that's kind of why we chose it. Definitely, because I mean, I hadn't actually heard any of these songs before and I was having a bit of a listen last night and what you just said, weightless, like I was so tempted to grab out the vino and just chill and not <laughs> and not get anything else done. Lydia, I got you. I got you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's just lockdown, but <laughs> no, they're fantastic. Um, we have been asking our guests, so whether they think that their favourite music increases their mood, inspires them, or alternatively can almost simplify positive thinking and overcoming challenges. So what do you guys think about this? all I think it does all of those things like depends what kind of music I'm listening to I think I've got my playlist for like you said to be inspired to feel energized and then to kind of simplify things as well mm-hmm. I can sort of guess Misha's moods based on what she's listening to because you know on Spotify you have that friend listing up mm-hmm. where you can see what your friends are listening to I see what music she's listening to I was like oh oh she's feeling like that okay mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so what are you doing <laughs> I actually, I was, I was having a bit of a jam session with my brother the other day and we were getting some things up on his Spotify and some of his playlists, one was literally something like sad boy. And I'm like, like I've got I one. mean, you know, I've got my sad boy playlist too. The one that gets used the most, I think. Well, unfortunately, um, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Misha and Sathika, for joining us. I think I speak for everyone and I say that this chat has been so insightful and your music choice has been great. Um, as mentioned earlier, Brown and Feminist can be found on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so feel free to check it out. To finish up, this is Lightweight by Anderson Pack. Um, have a great week, everyone, and tune in next Tuesday.